Welcome to On The Brink, a fresh lens to take you and your business to new heights. Welcome, and I'm Andy Simon. I'm your host and your guide. And as you know, my job is to get you off the brink. I don't want you to be up there wondering, where am I going and how am I going to do this? So instead, I go looking for people who are going to help you see things through a fresh lens. Open your mind to possibilities. Begin to think that, of course I can. And have that aha moment where you go, whoosh. So I'm so excited to have Lisa Perrin with us today. Uh, Lisa and I know each other for a long time, and I always enjoy our conversations. But I thought you would enjoy our conversation as well. Let me tell you a little bit about her. She's an experienced designer, communication strategist, and CEO of Cibola Systems. Did I say that right? Yeah. <laughs> she approaches her work with a mixture of curiosity, creativity, and the expertise gained from completing over a thousand consulting engagements. All kinds, the Henkel Ocean Academy and Netflix in Los Angeles and Pacific Life Insurance that I love. And in 2013, she's pretty proud that she defended her dissertation for Pepperdine's doctorate degree in organizational leadership. But what's also interesting is that what she does so well is help you think about a problem in a new way. And she really brings an innovative collaboration of ideas and thoughts there. And I always love that because in her story comes alive how she does it and how you can learn from it as well. So, Lisa, thank you for being with me. Thanks, Andy. Thrilled to be here. It is always fun. Tell the listeners or the viewers all about Lisa. What's your journey been like? And, and how did you come to this point? Because your Cibola has changed over the years. I've known you as the community and the clients have changed as all. Well. What's hot now? Tell us. I'll start. Uh, I'll start back in, in college. Uh, you know, we all have a wonderful childhood or not so wonderful to talk about. Uh, my childhood set me up uh, to believe I could do whatever I needed to do. And I got a false start uh, when I started college studying English because I somebody thought I was good at that. And it took me about two months in the library in the design section every day, every spare moment to realize I, I needed to um, to major in design and not English. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't very good at it. Uh, I wanted I was putting myself through school and uh, wanted to uh, go to a university uh, called Cal State Long Beach. It's a state university here in California. And um and they took, oh, let's say, less than 20 people into the program every year where 200, 300 applied, and I had no portfolio. So I, I dropped everything, moved down there, um, started sitting in on classes to audit them, and uh, you know, have instructors let me in, which they did. They took pity on me when I showed up every day for a couple of weeks, and uh, finally managed to get myself a design degree. So I am grounded in design and I still consider myself in my heart, first and foremost, a designer of, of things, of processes, yeah. of, of life. And, uh, and so this, this design grounding that I got early on uh, was just called design at the time, but now is known as human-centered design or design thinking. And so it really has guided my entire life, I have to say. But what's interesting is that it's who you are. It's how you see the world. It's not what you do, is it? Yeah, it is. Absolutely. It is. Uh, it's the way my brain works. Yeah, it's absolutely. the way my heart works. Yeah. So when, well, but it's so interesting because I always tell the story many years ago. I mean, I'm. 55 years ago, my husband and I were sitting on a beach and he said, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, I'm either an attorney or an anthropologist. And it's so cute because we both remember him saying, oh, be an anthropologist and I'll take care of you. <laughs> it's OK. 
thing. Oh. And we laugh about it. He's, he's been a good with, man. He's a good guy. He's been with me the whole way. But it's who I was. It wasn't what I was going to do. And so I love the evolution of design into a business. Talk about how did that all develop and what are your clients looking for? How do you apply Interesting little journey. So when I was in my uh, my fifth year, it took me five years to, to graduate. I was also working at the time. Um, and my fifth year, I got a wonderful, didn't seem wonderful at the time, but in retrospect, a wonderful position uh, as a sort of what we used to call Girl Friday. What a horrible phrase. Um, but, you know, the woman in the office who would do whatever needed to be done, which was drafting and answering the phone and once in a while balancing the books and, you know, whatever the five guys there didn't want to do. And they were all uh, product designers and they weren't in one company. They kind of shared me and I just did whatever they needed. So my first uh, my first project was working on an Airstream. You know what an Airstream is? Oh, I do. You know, the, Infamous uh, trailers and motorhomes and things. So, yes, yes. Streamline modern. Now, now sprinters are sort of airstreams, but uh, but back then they were more traditional. And you'll laugh when I tell you that they gave me the opportunity because they needed someone to design the kitchen and thought it should be a woman. <laughs> and I did a terrible job. I had no idea what I was doing. Even though I had studied product design, I was still in school. I had no idea. I don't think they used what they came up with. But it was a great experience. And the greatest thing about it was uh, it taught me to fail successfully. And, that, you know, the first thing about being good at designing anything, whether it's designing a product, a service, or a life, is being willing to fail and pick yourself up and, and you know, start over. But my second job, uh, which I worked on for three years at that firm, was a production studio, one of the first studios that was designed to support MTV. So MTV was coming out at the time in the early 80s, and there weren't a lot of studios to create content. And so for three years, I worked on studios, uh, working on products, building models, and that launched me into the world of media and technology. And so I do not have a technology uh, formal background. I never studied engineering, uh, but I did spend a lot of time for many years doing everything from, you know, designing consoles to, to building circuit boards to pulling cable. And so uh, I have a practical grounding. And so today my firm um, designs and builds all kinds of communication facilities, including still some studios, as well as things like screening rooms for entertainment. We're on the West Coast, so there's a lot of that. Um, we're starting out a new emergency operations center for our county, and we do uh, really interesting work. I will back into saying that one of the things that's different about the firm is that we use design thinking when we develop our approach, which starts with thinking about the users and the humans and, and trying to the degree we can to get the people who will use the spaces, the systems to help us design them and test them. Well, that's very humbling. And as an anthropologist, that's what makes you and I see the world through a similar lens. Because if the user, you know, I actually had a friend and he um, had to put anthropologists out with the clients because his computer engineers thought they were all stupid. And if clients are all stupid, you don't exactly produce things that they want. And so there's a collaboration here, which is quite powerful, where you get the end user to begin to work with you on creating the new things. Um, but I have a hunch that that new things that are being needed, like your communication center, have been evolving all through your business's development over the years. Are there trends that you see that 
um, add a nuance to this in, in today's world? Oh, gosh. Well, in today's world, uh, our communication has really turned upside down, hasn't it? And look at how comfortable you and I, Andy, are. We haven't seen each other in several years, and yet we feel like we're we're so close and we're talking electronically. Exactly. And that's the same thing for all of our users who come and watch. And um, we're actually rated in the top 5% of podcasts and in our category. And, and I'm like, that's a whole lot of folks who are using us. And I, I keep listening. What do you want more of? So, but, but it's true. And then, so the whole world of communication, what does that mean? And how is it changing? I think the thing that's so challenging is, is people are starting to come back to their workplaces. They're starting to come back to joining each other together. And yet they are still folks that need to participate remotely. And to a large degree, we've, we've evolved into workforces uh, as well as, you know, uh, nonprofit groups. I just spent the morning uh, earlier with a, a group that I'm part of where there were, there's a, a gentleman in Singapore, there's a gentleman in Spain, a gentleman in the UK, somebody in New York, and me on the West Coast. And we're working on a project together uh, for a nonprofit. And so, you know, we have these, these teams that are remote and they're, even as some people go back to the office or they go back to joining together, other people will remain virtual. And so the whole challenge of what's called hybrid such one of those words, hybrid and collaboration, they may be crazy because they're overused and you don't know what they mean. But hybrid means some people are there and some people are in person and some people are remote, right? And I don't want to say everyone, but almost everyone I talk to from a professional context wants to understand how to make hybrid work, how to make it satisfying, how to make it wonderful. And, uh, and so I think that is the greatest challenge because it used to be people would meet in person unless there was a compelling reason not to. And now um, people meet in person if there's a compelling reason to meet in person. It's kind of switched it around, hasn't it? Yeah. So that's we're spending a lot of time helping people think about um, how to make hybrid communication, if not wonderful, at least a positive experience. Spending a lot of time. Well, but but it's interesting because it's emphasized, we're taking out the genie out of the box about what is communication anyhow. And, and that opens up some really fundamental human questions. Humans are herd animals. We survived because we lived in groups and we birds of a feather flock together. And when you're a solo, I mean, you and I are both um, solopreneurs in a sense. You have a business, but I'm not sure. Maybe you're around them all day. Um, I have freelancers and we, we virtual. We've been virtual for, for 20 years. You know, it's been interesting. But what is communication when we are not physically together. How important is it? And I read a great article in, I think it was Wired, about how the virtual world has become part of our reality. And, and if, without it, we wouldn't have made it through this pandemic well at all. And so rather than see it as odd, think of it as part of this whole reality, part in person, part virtual, as opposed to a, an, a, you know, an attention between the two. And let's figure out how we communicate at all. So, so what, what kind of work, case studies, illustrations, something to share? You and I talked about this a little bit before, but we didn't get far into it. I'm, I'm really intrigued by a, a, um, a theory a theory called media synchronicity that was developed by a couple of gentlemen back in 1999, both academics, and they were looking really at just technology uh, and, and when um, synchronous 
same time communication, whether it was virtual or in person, was appropriate and when asynchronous was appropriate. And it looks at, I don't want to get too far into it, it looks at workflows. It looks at what you're trying to do. And what I love is it says, you know, what is communication or what is collaboration? That's a generic word. What we really want to ask is, are you trying to learn? Are you trying to make a decision? Are you trying to just have fun? (laughs) Maybe. Um, Are you trying to create something new? Are you trying to recreate something and look at everything we're trying to do and what is the best kind of communication around that? And then it picks it apart and it looks at when we should um, be working together, when we should do something that's connected, when we should be uh, working apart. And I think there's much there um, that's that's really fascinating. We won't go into it very far. I only say this because when we think about how we meet, where we meet, um, what we're meeting for, we need to really be maybe more thoughtful than we were in the past about what is it we're trying to accomplish and what's the best way to do it. That is so powerful because the intentionality is what's made this now important to think about. It isn't just we've got to meet, but, you know, the whole transition Do they have the video on or don't have the video on? Should they be in person or can they be half and half? But what is it we're trying to do with our gathering, human or otherwise? And what's the best way for that to get done? But I don't know a lot of writing or research about what is the best way to get that done. Um, I read something recently about how do I evaluate my staff if I don't see them, touch them, feel them, have a cup of coffee with them. And that becomes an interesting intentionality as well. Do you have to see me, have a cup of coffee with me in person in order to evaluate my output, my outcomes, my effort, my involvement? And and has this opened up a whole new array of questions about um, workplace performance? And and being in the gig solopreneur place, you know, I get rehired. That's my performance appraisal. <laughs> and you do too, right? You're not going to rehire me if I'm not a perfect or close to. Um, you'll go shop around and find another. Um, and, and it offers us a different opportunity now to think through what is an employee? You know, what is their value? And and I remember moving from being an employee to being a consultant and presenting to some physicians who knew me first as one and now as another. And in a second, I had grown in stature that I couldn't have imagined from being a vice president to being an independent. I now was important. And I went, what happened? It was so interesting. But your point is very powerful. As you're thinking about it, are questions coming to you from clients looking for the synchronicity? Are questions coming looking for synchronicity? No. Uh, I am doing CEO briefings to try to make people understand the difference uh-huh. Um, and, and, you know, help them be thoughtful about when they should and shouldn't not only be in person, but when they should and shouldn't actually be doing something at the same time versus giving people time to think. I, uh, what I, what I see is that people don't necessarily think about a couple things that are really important. Number one, do people have the same facility with language, whatever language it is really, really important because the nuances of how we express ourselves um, are important. Big idea. They're, they, they're better on video, but really important in person when English is not your first language or, or Japanese or uh, Spanish or whatever the language is. I think the other part that's, that's maybe not as obvious is, is how aligned are people. And so it, this whole idea of workflow looks at 
have teams been together? So the group, do they know each other well? And have they done the same task uh, together before? And so those are some of the questions you look at to help make the decisions. And there's some of the nuances. And, and people have just been getting by because they couldn't meet in person. They said, let's meet virtually. And they got by and they started to learn some new things. It's a great opportunity now to actually dive deeper and say, how do we learn? How do we create? How do we create being near and dear to my heart? Um, and, you know, how do we make decisions? And what are we trying to do and what's the best way to do it? So, no, people are not really coming and asking me the question. I'm coming back to them and saying, let's dig deeper. Again, using design thinking or human-centered design and saying, let's dig deeper into what you're truly trying to accomplish. And let's ask some people, some of your organization, some of your volunteers, whatever they are, um, to help us make those decisions and, and find a path forward. And now, a word from our sponsors, Simon Associates Management Consultants. That's us. And we're here to help you see, feel, and think in new ways. Whether you are an organization that's stuck or stalled, or an individual in that organization who's looking to rethink their own life's journey, Simon Associates has designed programs and processes to help you do just that. Our first book, On the Brink, A Fresh Lens to Take Your Business to New Heights, told the stories of seven clients who were stuck or stalled, and a little anthropology helped them see things through a fresh lens reignite their growth, and soar again. My new book that came out in January 2021 is called Rethink, Smashing the Myths of Women in Business. It's all about how 11 women, including myself, were able to see past the hurdles, the glass ceilings, and the brick walls and become the best that they could be. They heard things like women aren't lawyers and women can't lead and women aren't in geosciences. And they said, of course we are. And they really pushed through and did it with such ease that they want other women to see what's possible. At the end of the book, I provide a bit of a how-to process for you. If you're on the brink of rethinking your own life's journey, it's time to pause, step back, and ask yourself, where am I going? What's my passion and my purpose? And am I there, or can I get there? Send us your emails to info at andysimon.com, and we'll get right back to you to see how we can help. On andysimon.com are some free chapters for both books, and you can also join our newsletter and our Facebook group, Rethink with Andy Simon. We are bringing together women to help other women do what they can't do by themselves, very often to see what's possible and become the best that they can be. Come join us. And now, back to our podcast. It's been interesting because I read and watch so much about what women have been doing on those meetings, and some of the research is quite disturbing. They are no more able to participate in a virtual meeting and be heard than they are in a real meeting. And the values of a man speaking a lot are still the values, and a woman speaking a lot is, is off off her role. And so they haven't been able to use the virtual to break through and balance the playing field for men and women to speak together and hear each other as if they were in a room together. I mean, my classic is, you know, you're in a room and they're all guys and two women. And every time a woman says something, nobody hears them until the guy says it. And, and they're not even aware of how they're 
uh, co-opting the ideas and diminishing the woman and the skill sets for being able to handle those situations and, and, and pull them back into the conversation. So virtual isn't necessarily more friendly to women. On the other hand, I know all women meetings are going really well for some clients and even investment groups who have been doing investments for women for a women business have been doing it really well. So there's some all kinds of interesting biases to overcome that still need to be overcome. Well, what's so exciting is just that it's a good time to rethink how we, yes. how we learn together, <laughs> how we make decisions together, how we co-create. It's just a great time to do it. You know, the, the people are, um, they're so attached to their shiny objects. And they are so reluctant to move over to the new until they can see it and taste it and feel it and come over. That this shiny object affection gets in the way of good progress. And what we're talking about is really progress in communication, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know what I love about human-centered design or design thinking is the iterative process and saying, we know we're not going to have the perfect solution at the beginning and let's have fun and try something. Let's try six things and see what works and let people, you know, have feedback um, as opposed to saying, you know, let's, let's go from here to here. And, and this one's right. And this one's wrong. You know, that's the difference. It's this, this evolutionary yep. um, process that, that allows you to in the end be revolutionary but you get there in an evolutionary way. And that goes back to that word collaboration. That means that it's not um, a process of consensus building to come to a decision. It's experiential learning to begin to see how something is better collaboratively. I mean, it's not even a soloist who's taking you from here to here. It's a lot of ideas. And the more ideas you have, the more likely you have big ones and they come at the intersections. So there's a trust factor that's important there. It's okay to explore experientially, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Oh, and it's so fun. You know, I teach, I, this is the other part of my life. I think you may know some of this. I, I teach design thinking. And I just finished in Orlando teaching a group of 25 technology professionals, uh, 20. 24 guys, one woman, <laughs> um, about design thinking and how to apply it to the work that they're doing. Um, and, <laughs> and, you know, the first day, invariably, we, we do reviews every day. So it's three nine-hour days in a row. It's pretty intense. And people, you know, most people say, oh, this is terrible, and I hate this, and I'm uncomfortable. And by the last day, people are so excited because it's so fun. And the amount that they accomplish, they do a 24-hour project, the amount that they accomplish as a group of four or five in that time gives them a whole different way of thinking about the world. Yes. And it's just, I, I absolutely love it. I thrive on it. I do I do some asynchronous university courses too, and it's nowhere near as fun, I have to say, as putting everybody in one room and seeing that actual transformation of every single person there who says, I can do this. Mm-hmm. this is I can do this. I can, I can work in a different way. Well, what, I, what you just said is very powerful, though, because there's a symbiosis here between them and you. And and the experience is as transformative as you to you as it is to them. And that's why I miss my in-person workshops. <clears throat> On the other hand, I've been to Idaho three times, Iowa twice, Grand Rapids twice, twice, Delaware once, Philadelphia, uh, all in the last four or five months without leaving home. And I got to be in Boston and California this week without 
going anywhere. <laughs> and it's sort of, but I do miss it. But that's what I miss. I miss that interaction where the transformation, you can see it, their eyes go, oh, I mean, they just go, oh, that was a million dollar idea. Where'd that come from? And it's so fascinating. So that's cool stuff. One of the things that you uh, talk about often is a return on the investment for design thinking. Any perspective on that? Ah, I love that question. We typically start a project, whatever that project is, whatever what we what we would call the design challenge or the how might we question with a complimentary what's in it for us. So what is what is the purpose and how importantly, um, how will you measure the result? How can you have a metric that tells you that you've been successful? So your success metric, I like to call it. Um, and so um, the return on investment is always going to be different. You know, it's, it's never the same. Um, but I will say there's been some really interesting research just in the last two years from the Darden School at University of Virginia. A woman named Jean, Jean Litka, Dr. Jean Litka, led it. And it's the first quantitative um, study of the return on investment for design thinking. And so they found that there were five returns on investment. And, and I'll do this from memory. Hopefully I get them right. Uh, the obvious one is you get a better solution. Um, the also obvious one is when you involve the end users, the adoption rate is really fast. Um, an interesting one that I love is that it is trust building amongst the people who built together, whatever it is, who answer the design challenge together. Um, but here's one that doesn't seem so obvious, and, and this came out of this research, that it brings together in organizations silos, um, and it's, so, it's silo-busting. And what I love to say as I teach design thinking, as I coach it, is that think about what this means for you if you're leading this process within an organization. It frees up resources because suddenly... A bunch of different groups throw their resources together, whether they're people resources or money or time or whatever it is, and you get this much bigger return for a much bigger group of people. So I love that the research showed that. The other thing, if I may, that the research showed, and again, I'll do this from, from memory, is they, they looked at um, these uh, a quite broad range of organizations and people within them that were using design thinking, and they found out that if you have no experience with design thinking, you get um, uh, in three of those an immediate return with no experience. With limited experience, you get return on all of them. And with extensive experience, and that would be somebody like me, there's no other incremental value. All you need is, is limited or just median experience, but you follow the process. I love it. Design thinking methodology. And, you know, I would say that sometimes it helps to have a coach the first time you do it. Because yep. it gives you confidence and some direction, same as you know what you do, and then people learn to do it on their own, and they don't need a coach anymore, which is fabulous. Um, if you're going to teach it, you probably need some experience because it's going to give you confidence and credibility. But the bottom line here is huge return on investment, and anybody can do it. That's what I'd love to say. Anybody can do it. Well, but you know, and the, the concept sounds mysterious. <clears throat> and on the other hand, I am running a business is not simple and easy. And learning to do new things isn't either. And so the mystery, if you pull it out, 
and you just go through a, a training once and begin to see the logic here, because what you're basically doing is pulling a lot of my minds together to think about something. The more ideas, the better. And, and then the trust is so important because if not, you'll never decide. I met a woman who was at Ford before his, the new CEO was there. She said, we have 35, 40 people in a meeting for a consensus building, but nothing gets decided. I said, well, that's not collaboration. That's a, a silly way of running a company. And she said, that's why we're not doing it anymore. <laughs> it, it wasn't design thinking thinking. It was the illusion that being together made us uh, build a better consensus around a decision. No decisions were ever made. The politics got in the way. Well, here's the thing about what we talked about earlier. So if you know what your ROI should be, you know what your success metric is, and you are testing multiple things against that success metric, it becomes pretty clear which one's the winner. Yes. It's not somebody's opinion. It is It is reality. Yep. So. And, I, and I love it. I love testing, too. I preach always have a prototype or a test model or some way you can judge before you go leaping off into the space. You know, you're just assuming from your office that that's a good idea without some clients in there or some end users or some field work. You know, it doesn't work very well at all. Lisa, we're just about ready to wrap us up. A couple of things you don't want folks to forget other than they should learn design thinking so they can think better. Yeah. And, and you know, if you if you want to learn more about it, um, Stanford D School has some marvelous resources and just go to Stanford dschool.org or something, stanford.org and look up the D school and, and they have free resources that are fabulous. So um, that's a good starting place. Anybody can do it. You can use it for anything. I think the funnest thing to do of all is to try it at home first. Uh -huh. um, read a little bit about design thinking and then try it with your family, try it with some friends, plan a vacation, figure out where your, your child wants to go to college, um, figure out what you want to do with your life. And, um, and yeah, give it a try. <laughs> I love it. You can design, think, rethink your life, right? I mean, it's just a process, right? It's, and it's not a bad time. You know, I always say don't waste a crisis. I didn't expect this one, but don't waste it. Let's figure out, you know, how to redesign and think about your life in a new way. So if they'd like to reach you for whatever, how can they do that? LinkedIn is the best way. Uh, just send me a message on LinkedIn. It's Lisa Perrine, uh, Cibola Systems. If you put that into uh, LinkedIn, you'll, you'll find it. C-I-B-O-L-A Systems. And last name is P-E-R-R-I-N-E. And we will have all of that on the blog that we post with all of our, our stuff. So it's been just so much fun to see you again. I love sharing your ideas. It's hard to find people who think the same way we do. And when I find somebody, I want to hold you tight, not let you go. It's so much fun. We will do it again at some point as we watch things developing. Don't be bashful. Come back. I see something happening. Let's talk about it. Because my job is to get my clients off the brink. And they can't soar unless they know there's something here different than what was there before. So thank you for coming today. For all of my listeners or viewers, thank you. It's always a pleasure. I get your emails from across the globe. And this has just been fun. So Lisa is in California. I'm in New York. And it's just like we're next door neighbors. We almost had a cup of coffee together. And it's great. Now, my books, my books are both on Amazon and Barnes and & Noble. And they're in Audible, which I understand is growing like crazy. And 
ebooks and a hardcover. And even I am having trouble with hardcovers. I don't have much room left on my shelves. So those audibles and ebooks are perfect and wonderful. And when you do them, you know, a little review helps too. So, hey, thanks so much for everybody. Have a great day. Stay well. Bye bye now. Thank you.